Hello and welcome to the Hormones in Harmony podcast. I'm your host, Vivian Allred, naturopathic nutritional therapist and hormone enthusiast. If you want to learn how to rebalance your female hormones, regulate your menstrual cycle and reclaim your vitality, then you are in the right place. Each week I will be delving into different conditions such as PCOS, endometriosis, infertility, hypothyroidism, acne and hair loss. Stay tuned for interviews with expert guests, Q&As and solo episodes that are all intended to help you move from hormonal chaos to hormonal harmony. If you'd like to submit a question for me to answer on the podcast, then you can email them to hormonesinharmony at gmail.com. The information shared on this podcast is intended for educational purposes only and is not designed to replace the advice of your health practitioner. That said, let's get into today's episode. Hi guys, welcome back. So we have a return guest and my friend on the podcast today. Her name is Cheryl Woodman and we're answering your skincare and acne questions. So we both polled our audiences for questions and put them together and we're going to be answering them today with Cheryl's perspective from the outside, so topical care with acne and skin issues. And then I give my two cents with what would I do from the inside out. So we kind of partnered together quite a lot. We do like a monthly mastermind where we pick each other's brains and I really love it because we're both passionate about skincare and acne. So love having friends in the industry. And with my help, with her help, um, I managed to get pretty clear skin. And um, it was a lot internally driven, but she, and I'll talk about this in the episode, she recommended a skincare routine. I was already doing a pretty good one, but her recommendations really took my skin to the next level. And it's pretty much the best that it's ever been in my life, which is amazing to say. This acne journey is real and it's been a huge struggle. So now I feel pretty confident in my skin. So we cover things like sunscreen, is it really necessary to wear it every day, even in the UK winters? We talk about retinols or retinoids, how to introduce them and what's normal versus abnormal in terms of purging or is it a clear reaction? We talk about hyaluronic acid and how it may not be the best thing, um, even specific brands for acne prone skin. It wouldn't be Cheryl, um, Cheryl's first choice for acne and what she would use instead. So lots of different um, subjects and topics. So there's gonna be something hopefully in here that you um, kind of benefit from. And you might hear your question if you were someone who submitted it, but if it was like a very personal question um, or if it was a little bit too general, we've personalized it and tweaked it maybe slightly just so it's more beneficial to everyone. So I hope you enjoy. Let's get straight into the podcast. We did go through your bio and everything in the last episode so I'm not going to repeat that if everyone wants to find out about your journey in more detail they can listen to episode 81 that was a really good episode I've had great feedback on it basically talking us through the the usual path that people go when they get acne so they start with the DIY stuff they read on the internet and then they go to the pharmacist or they try like over-the-counter acne lines and then finally if it's persisting they turn to medications, birth control pills, all of that. So if you want to learn more about that, definitely listen to episode 81. But could you just introduce yourself to those who maybe um, haven't listened to the, the previous episode with us? Yeah, sure. Um, so my name is Cheryl Woodman. I'm a scientist, a skincare formulator and skincare expert. I've 
suffered uh, in the past with my skin, which is the reason why I do what I do now. And my skin's almost been my best teacher because I've experienced a lot of these things firsthand and seen what's worked firsthand, which as a scientist is always helpful when you see it with your own eyes. And um, yeah, so I help people, I skin coach people one-to-one through acne um, and also sensitive skin conditions. Mm-hmm. And you gave me um, a little skin update, skin protocol update last time, because I was doing some good stuff, I think, because um, just with what I've learned and, and following some accounts like yourself and my friend Sarah Sumik. But I was doing a few things, particularly the thing that stood out was the Aztec, Aztec clay mask. If you remember, I was doing yes. that like once a week and I was like, it's really helping with my oily skin. But you were like, yeah, it's probably giving you temporary results, but actually damaging the skin barrier and it's a bit too harsh. So cutting that out actually made my skin less oily. Oh, that's great to hear. Yeah, it says um, that's one of the issues with acne skincare is that it can have that really quick instant result, which is so addictive to feel that kind of relief from the oiliness but long term it just kind of propagates the acne biology so I'm really glad to hear that and the I think I was doing a hyaluronic acid serum so it was the ordinary one not that I had like majorly dehydrated or dry skin but I was just like oh hyaluronic acid's pretty much good for anyone I think so I added that in but you're actually saying that that particular product wasn't the most effective so can you explain why that is and maybe the benefits of hyaluronic acid Uh, For sure. So The Ordinary do a lot of great serums. The hyaluronic acid one actually isn't one of my favorite. First of all, it's a very um, sticky formulation that tends to do what's called pilling on the skin. So if you apply it to skin and then apply another skincare product, you might feel like you're starting to rub off dry skin, but it's actually just the product balling up on itself. Um, So that's one reason I don't like it. Another reason is I suspect, and this is somewhat kind of confirmed in conversations with their PR team, that they use extremely low molecular weight hyaluronic acid. And that's to make sure that it penetrates into the deeper areas of your skin, which is where it's going to have the most benefit. But what the research shows us is that actually the very small molecular weight hyaluronic acid tends to initiate inflammatory pathways in your skin. And what you actually want to happen is for skincare products to be stimulating hyaluronic acid production in those deep layers of your skin. And when that happens, it tends to be the high molecular weight hyaluronic acid. So you're counterintuitively trying to get hyaluronic acid to absorb into your skin by using very low molecular weight hyaluronic acid but actually it could be causing inflammation and that can be troublesome. For example, if you have acne when you're, you're suffering from an inflammatory skincare condition. So it's not a product that I generally recommend people use as a solo skincare ingredient. If it's as a, um, an ingredient partnering other active ingredients in a product and it's not the low molecular weight hyaluronic acid, then yes, it can be helpful. But in general, it's not an ingredient that I would recommend to use as a solo serum. Mm-hmm. Interesting. And yeah, my 
I kind of asked you to give me some tips for my skincare. When was it last time that we did the podcast? It was, must have been summer because I remember it was like very hot, very sweaty. Oh my goodness. <laughs> that is the one thing I remember about it. I was so hot. I literally considered sitting with ice cubes like in my hands. Like sweat dripping down my back <laughs> yeah. and neck throughout the whole thing. Um, yeah, I, I think, think it, it was been, June or July. Yeah, we had like a quite hot summer but obviously with lockdown 2020 we weren't able to really do much but yeah I definitely remember that I'm getting flashbacks <laughs> yes the summer months it's very different today it's very cold here exactly but I wanted to get you back on to answer some listener questions so we could chat about skincare acne all of that all day every day but I wanted to ask answer some listener questions so you've kind of called your audience um, and through your email list, I think you asked them to send in a few questions. We've got those to start off with. And then I did a little Q&A box on Instagram a couple of weeks back. And some of the questions were too generic. So we can't really give like specific to your situation. So we've kind of changed them a little bit. So if you hear a question that you think is yours, we might have changed it a little bit, but it's just so that it can help more people. And if you do want that individual um, skincare protocol made for you personally then that's when you should visit someone or like get a consultation with someone like Cheryl to actually help you get that because I made that mistake for years just reading online and like looking at people's blogs what they were doing but I noticed the biggest difference after your skincare recommendations so I introduced I think the biggest game changer for me was the retinoid that you added in and Mm. I didn't have like the worst acne ever and it, it had majorly flared up because of my um, mold issues and my body was just like so inflamed and I was detoxing. So I moved in June, my acne got worse when my body was kind of releasing all of those toxins into the system. So it probably would have cleared up on its own anyway, but the skincare, I can tell it's made a big difference. I can tell there's less congestion. Oh, I'm is better. Um, apart from today, I was saying before, like I woke up with the biggest like spot on my chin which is difficult because <laughs> apart it's probably because your body knew we, you we were exactly. going to be seeing each other yeah. <laughs> always the case but apart from that but even when I do get a spot like this now it comes to the surface very quickly it heals very quickly and then it's gone whereas before it would have been a deep cyst um, it would have taken five days to come to the surface it would have left mm. a red mark for another two weeks afterwards. So I can tell that my skin cell turnover is much better. And when the breakouts happen, they're like right to the surface, over and done with, which which is what I want from a pimple. Ideally, Oh, none. that's great. It, How often are you using the retinoid now? So to start off with, you said like introduce one thing at a time. We did some other things, mm-hmm. but I think that has made the yeah. biggest change um, and getting rid of the masks, um, the clay mask and the um, hyaluronic acid. So the retinoid, um, I started with, I think once a week and I did get a purge from that. So I'd got, I'd got like random, like deep cystic spots. Um, and then they mm. just came and left. And then since then I can tell my body was just purging it all out. And then it's been pretty good ever since, but I got the flakiness, which is to be expected a little bit of sensitivity. I realized mm. in this whole process as well, that I actually have rosacea and I never knew that I had that until you brought it up in conversation I used mm-hmm. to call them like hives on my face because I, I'd get histamine and hive reactions elsewhere sometimes but I had these like little red dots on my cheeks which now I can see is like classic rosacea in this location as well 
But um, yeah, until you said, because when I think rosacea, I'm thinking of my clients with like full red faces. Um, it's mm. down the like the mid center of the face. Um, sometimes it's like a crusty, dry version. So I didn't have that. Mine was pretty mild in comparison, but I did have to um, be careful not to use the retino retinoid in that area too often. So I worked mm. up to doing it every other night. Um, definitely in summer that was needed. And then I've gone back to, I think once every three days now, or just oh, that's great. needed otherwise, because it's a bit drier and my skin's clearer overall. Sometimes you need yeah. to just go in and go at a high dose for a little bit and then you can drop off when your body is adjusting, but that's made a huge difference. Um, and I've asked you this, like when we spoke otherwise, but I think it'd be useful for people to know. But when I was doing previously, I was doing the Paula's Choice BHA salicylic acid and mm -hmm. noticed a big improvement with that. So that would help keep my breakouts at bay and help with oiliness. But why is it that I noticed such a better result from upgrading and swapping that out to a retinol? So salicylic acid can be really, really helpful. And a lot of clients when they come to me they are using a product with salicylic acid and can be almost quite worried about giving it up or pushing it out of their skincare routine because they've seen good results with it um, and it is helpful i mean salicylic acid is an antibacterial it's mild antibacterial so it's helping to reduce those acne bacteria populations it's also an exfoliant so it's speeding up your skin cell turnover um, but it's not a natural or skin similar active whereas retinoids are a form of vitamin a they work slightly differently in that they help to normalize your skin cell turnover whereas salicylic acid is exfoliating 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 retinoids are speeding up your skin cell turnover but helping to normalize it as well they're also involved in your skin's healing cycle so vitamin a and zinc are very helpful for skin healing um, and it's an active your skin already has and knows how to use. Retinoids also active um, in helping to regulate your skin's sebum production. So the oily nature of skin encourages the acne bacteria to grow. And if you're helping to regulate and rebalance that oil production with a retinoid, then it brings benefits that salicylic acid can't bring alone. Um, and quite often, salicylic acid type exponents can be very addictive. So you see those really great results, first of all. And it's really easy to ramp up to the point where you're using a product like that every night. And then what starts to happen is actually you're causing your skin an irritation burden and an extra inflammation burden. And you're also breaking down your skin barrier. And that's never, never a good thing. Our skin barrier is so important. Um, it's number one job in life is to stop us from having infections and acne is that kind of infection of your um, pore. So using salicylic acid several times a week can actually end up reducing your skin health, which makes it very prone um, to acne breakouts. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of just like managing it and it might do a good job, but retinoids are actually addressing the potential root cause of the problem. Yes, exactly, exactly. And you can integrate a retinoid 
um, find the right uh, number of nights to use it for you. So often what I would do with my clients is um, ask them to gradually ramp up, but we're also just introducing one product at a time. And that really helps you to understand how it's interacting with your skin, um, if it's hydrating or dehydrating, or if you're expecting um, it to, if it's causing any kind of inflammation in your skin when you're introducing a new active, just being aware of how that product interacts with your skin um and then then understanding what a great routine looks like for you after that yeah i did have a question so we will kind of just cover this now someone asked how do we introduce retinoids into acne routine so start one thing at a time don't change too many things too quickly start slowly maybe once a week always patch test um how do you deal with the potential irritation or flaking and things with retinoids is that just normal and it's going to pass within a few days or is there anything that you can do to buffer that so when i talk about retinoids sometimes i think they sound really scary <laughs> because we start off with all these stories of like irritation and skin flaking and actually for some people they never experience that and um, even if you have a sensitive skin type there's lots of different types of skin sensitivity. And so having a sensitive skin type doesn't always necessarily mean you're not gonna get on with retinoids too. Um, so I just bear that in mind that a lot of the times when we're talking, retinoids sound really scary, but um, so long as you're starting with the right kind of product, they're not. Um, and I would say that's a really important starting point is the first retinoid introduction you do what type of retinoid it is and the strength of it and then the overall formulation of it too um so for example retinol is the active most people talk about when they're talking about a retinoids it's the one which was studied originally to be very helpful um for acne and it's the one which is most widely used historically in skincare products. However, there are now um, what we'd call retinoid analogs um, and other retinoid groups like retinoid palmitate, um, which have protecting groups, meaning that they break down in your skin much more gradually to release the active ingredient. Um, and that means they tend to be much more sensitive skin friendly. Something like retinol palmitate is a very, very low strength retinoid. So if somebody was worried about using a retinoid, that would be something to look at. Also the Granactif um, retinoids, know the ordinary um, use that in their products. That has been studied to have reduced irritation potential. And then there are also um, retinoid retinoid-like active, so bacuchiol, um, which is a natural and plant extract that helps to increase the bioavailability of your skin's own vitamin A. So that can be a product which is um, good to start with because it's working with your skin's biology and it is studied to be less irritating than something like retinol. So it's really important to make sure you're starting with that right active ingredient and also it's so so tempting i've done it before when you just want your skin to be clear and um, to start with the highest strength skincare products but it's it's a really really important lesson to go for that long term um clear really healthy skin rather than that short term i've dried out my acne and my spots 
for this next few days are looking better. Um, it's really important to go for that long-term game. And using retinoids, even as low as kind of 0.01%, shows noticeable benefits in your skin. Um, so don't don't be kind of enticed. I know it's really tempting by like the 2% plus strengths. Um, a low dose is really great to start with. I think I'm on, is it 0.05? the yes. active retinoid that I'm on and I even asked you like a couple of months into it like oh where could I bump up my dosage you're like no just keep it how it is for at least a year or two because it's obviously working I'm a little bit of an obsessive personality I just like to like if I find something that works I want to do it all day every day but I've learned my lesson and the flaking that I did get it wasn't bad it was just like a little bit of flaking so not to scare anyone off it mm. lasted like three days, just needed a little bit more moisturizer on, and that's fine. Where did you get the skin flaking? Um, I think it was like around the center of my face. Mm, yeah. I'm not sure, or like where um, my breakouts were. Mm -hmm. So they were like kind of on the lower cheeks, um, around the chin. So I think it was in those mm -hmm. places. It wasn't really, oh, a little bit on the forehead as well. Uh, yeah. Interesting, yeah, yeah. But it wasn't bad, yeah. Oh, that's good to know. Yeah, different areas of the skin do exfoliate at slightly different rates. So um, you can have, you might have been seeing that, especially around kind of the nasal label um, area. It also tends to be an area that's slightly more sensitive. So yeah. um, testing skincare active to sensitive skin, they'll often do a sting test and it will be in that kind of nasal mm -hmm. label fold area. So um, that is an area to, I've had seborrheic dermatitis, which would affect mm -hmm. like the sides of my nose and my hairline. So that is a place that can start to flake sometimes or if I've mm. got um, a histamine reaction, sometimes I get like itchiness at the side of my nose. Um, but mm. yeah, really good transition for me. And um, another thing that I tried, I've more recently been doing this again because the, the weather's changed. But you said this from the get-go for me personally, try not washing my face in the morning because mm. I would wake up on my face, especially in summer this summer. It was terrible, like very oily very greasy and shiny and I just like that, that refreshing feel of washing my face in the morning but you were saying mm. that's it's obviously going to help reduce the oiliness right then and there but it could actually be stimulating my body to produce more and more oil so for a while I just stuck with um what I was doing with the new products that you suggested but over the past couple of weeks I've not been washing my face in the morning because I'm less oily just overall my skin's um, clearer if sometimes I am a little bit shiny I just use the oil blotting paper just to get off that mm, excess grease yeah um, and sometimes I do like a spritz of toner or rose water toner something like that but sometimes I just like put a bit of powder foundation on and just go on with my day and it's been working really well and it's saving oh, a lot awesome. of money on products which is another win yeah it is yeah you go yes. through everything much slower <laughs> Yes, it's a really great step that just going from washing your face a few days, a few times a day to once in the evening. And the aim of that really is to work with your natural biology. And we're so ingrained. I remember the first product I ever started to use 
skincare wise it was a face wash that my mum was using and she's like oh this is quite nice try it and so as a girl I started washing my face twice a day without even really thinking about it um, but it does disrupt your skin's biology and the pH level of water even is very mismatched um, to skin especially if you live in a hard water area so minimizing contact with that can have a really great impact that's what what I had done in the past when you were saying like stop washing your face I was like I've tried that before it didn't work but it's just because I was splashing my face with water and then mm. just drying it off so not using cleanser but I'd rather like it's better someone not do even the water because that can affect the pH and things so if you're not going to yeah. wash your face with cleanser just don't wash it with water if you need to splash yes. your eyes and things that's fine or just spritz some toner on to wake yourself up but um yeah something that I'm going to continue with because I've just seen a big difference and also it can be so a lot of this is building on skincare steps that you've already integrated but if not washing your face was the only thing that you changed in the morning but you didn't have a great skincare routine to support that then you might not see benefits yeah, from it definitely. because leaving um oil that is unbalanced on your skin just propagates the acne cycle itself and um, so that's important to remember definitely so are you happy to get started with some listener questions Yes, let's yeah. go for it. I'm excited. Perfect. So the first few are from your audience. Um, first one's from Claire Marshall from Leicestershire. She says, why do cystic spots on my neck, neck take months to go away and how can I prevent them together? Um, there's like a few questions within this. So do you want to start with that one or shall I do the second part? Yes, yes, let's, let's start with that one. Okay. So there's quite a lot going on in this question. And I would actually have a couple of questions for Claire before understanding how I would move forward with her skincare routine. The first, I would want to understand if the acne on her chin and, sorry, excuse me, the acne on her neck is very similar to acne she gets on other parts of her body. If she's suffering also with acne on her face, is she suffering with acne along the jawline that's spreading to the neck or is it acne in isolation on her neck and that's just helping me to understand the causes of the acne and if it's looking the same for example is she getting cystic spots on her neck and also on her face is that level of inflammation the same um then i'd also be looking to understand are there any extra factors at play in the neck area? For example, it's a really great show of this at the moment with maskne, acne mechanica, that friction against your skin really has a negative effect on your skin barrier. It's breaking down your skin barrier, which means acne bacteria can get into your skin much more deeply than they would usually. It's also locking a higher humid area, humidity level against your skin, which corrodes your skin in the same way that if you go swimming and you come out of um, the swimming baths and your hands feel powdery and wrinkly and dry, um, that's also your skin barrier breaking down. So I'd want to understand, for example, does she wear a lot of roll necks or scarves? Is she experiencing it more in the winter when she might be wearing a scarf more often? Um, and helping to manage those factors from an irritation point of view. Then I think it's also important to bear in mind, and we kind of touched upon this uh, 
before. Your skin biology is different in different areas of your skin. When we talk about skin, I'm often talking about skin of the face, and that has a pH level of between kind of 4.2 and 5 when it's most healthy. We used to think it was up to kind of five and a half, but actually studies show that when people stop washing their skin so much, it naturally reacclimatizes itself to below five. But different areas of your skin have different pH levels and other areas of our body tend to be slightly higher in pH level, which can mean, for example, that they don't have as an effective um, acid barrier, which helps to stop acne bacteria from overgrowing. It can also affect things like how quickly your skin cells turn over, so how quickly your skin exfoliates. Um, and both of those factors can mean that acne lesions take longer to heal. Um, than in other areas of your skin. But you can help to kind of confront that by, for example, using an acid-based exfoliant, um, something that is lowering the skin pH in that area to help um, the skin to exfoliate more quickly um, and to acidify the skin barrier. Um, also, if there's friction and sensitivity in that area, if the inflammation is higher, you can use soothing actives that are helping to take down that inflammation. Um, and if we suspect the skin barrier is more disrupted in that area, then skin barrier repairing actives can also be really helpful. So there's a lot going on in that question um, that I'd have to look at more deeply to understand um, what the best approach skincare wise would be. And for me, the location of acne can determine like certain internal imbalances. So um, not always. So there's this whole Chinese face buffing thing and there's images on Google if you were to look them up. Usually it's kind of the forehead is gut health and stress. The cheeks would be liver or detoxification, inflammation. The lower part of the face is typically hormonal and sometimes digestive. And to me, the neck can be infection and um, kind of lymphatic issues. So the lymphatics, the waste removal system of the body. So I would consider looking into some of those. Um, do you have any signs of chronic infection, either viral? So do you have a history of Epstein-Barr virus or um, herpes or cold sores, anything like that? Or do you have major digestive system symptoms? So it could be parasite related, could be SIBO, small intestine bacterial over overgrowth yeast overgrowth in the body um, so this could tie into like the second part of the question as well because she's asking any advice on how to permanently cut out the foods which she's sensitive to and control the sugar carb cravings which will in turn help her skin so that what that's sort of making me think is it maybe chronic infection chronic yeast overgrowth in the body that comes up in the neck having a chronic infection can stagnate the lymphatic system so that's just like maybe just doing lymphatic support isn't going to be the answer, so like massage and gua sha, um, that might help. But if you have a chronic infection, making your lymphatic system slow down, then getting rid of the infection is number one. And having a yeast, usually yeast and, well, all of them really, um, yeast has like a major affinity to sugar and carbs. So if she's like mm -hmm. addicted to them, that could be another sign. And it can be really difficult for someone to cut and eliminate those foods out um, until they get rid of the infection. So those are my thoughts. So is that the, do you have any, any recommendations for diet and nutrition with like cutting foods out or um, yes, your overall that, thoughts with diet and skin? Yes, because that's Claire's um, second half of her question. Absolutely. Um, 
those sugar carb cravings yes I completely get that for me I definitely I have a massive sweet tooth so I can relate to that um wholeheartedly um I think there's a there's some really easy steps you can take to avoid temptation um, which is to not have those foods in the house um, so that you can't have them in those moments. But also I would say from a deprivation point of view, don't not allow yourself a treat because that's just going to make you, you crave it mm-hmm. to an even greater extent. So having something as an alternative, I mean, for me, I know that dairy does not have a good impact on my skin. So I actively avoid dairy. Um, and that can be heartbreaking because I have a sweet tooth and a lot of uh, sweet products have dairy in. So on one hand, it's great because it means I proactively avoid them because actually the thought of having poor skin health um, is enough of a motivator for me to do that. Um, but also I found alternatives over the years, which mean that I don't really miss it because I have things that taste just as great. So for example, from a cheese point of view, nutritional yeast can be really great. It has that cheesy flavor. There are nut based alternatives. Um, so having something that you can eat when you have a sweet craving um, that is healthier and gradually weaning yourself. Um, so for example, I started to eat dark chocolate when I knew that dairy was a trigger for my skin. And gradually over the years, um, I increased the percentage of the dark chocolate until I could quite enjoy eating 85%. Um, 70% dark chocolate is a really great one to try. Um, and also things like I would used to have a couple of dried um, prunes after a meal to kind of signal I've grown up with having sweet after a meal. So to me, it's like a pattern. So to try and pattern and trap myself, I'd replace what would be much more unhealthy for me a sugar-based biscuit or something with a couple of dried prunes. Um, and that would just help to stop my body from having those um, cravings. And also I think it can be really great to understand the smaller biology hacks. For example, if you have a craving, so if you're going through a really stressful time at work or in life, um, understanding that those stress hormones are increasing your blood sugar levels and you're having blood sugar swings, which is the reason why you're starting to crave those sugary and carby um, food groups. But actually exercise can be so, so helpful in those situations. Um, Exercise really helps to balance your blood sugar. Um, Usually your body uses insulin to take that blood sugar on board. But when you, for example, say strength train, um, your body becomes much uh, more effective at um, sucking up the blood sugar um, without the need for so much insulin. So using exercise as a tool to manage those sugary um, cravings can be really, really helpful. And I've used that as well in in my personal experience. Having PCOS, I'm more likely to have high blood sugar, high insulin levels. So if I was going out to eat and I wanted like the popcorn or I wanted like a carbier meal, I would make sure that I do some strength training that day. And I've had comments like, oh, that's so disordered. Like, have you got a problem with like exercise and things? I'm like, no, I'm trying to support my physiology. I know I have this Mm. genetic predisposition and I'm actually it's a form of self-love, like supporting my body with uptaking that glucose. I'm not trying to like burn off the calories and like punish myself for eating it. 
I'm trying to actually just help my body. So I like that you said that. Uh, yeah. Yes, definitely. And two more things on kind of internally, um, increasing protein can really help to stabilize blood sugar and offset sugar cravings. Um, and the other one would be looking to magnesium levels. So anyone's particularly anything chocolatey um, can be related to a lack of magnesium. And I think everyone needs to take or increase their magnesium intake. Do you love coffee, but have been told it's bad and needs to be avoided if you're struggling with hormone imbalances like acne, PMS, and period problems? Honestly, most coffee out there should be avoided because the majority are contaminated with things like mold and pesticides, which can drive inflammation and those feelings like anxiousness and jitteriness after drinking. But what if I told you there was a coffee option that tastes great, is organic and mold free, and also provides healing properties from reishi mushroom spores. Enter Organo King Coffee, my latest obsession. I didn't drink it for years because it would always wreck my sleep and leave me feeling like an anxious mess. But King Coffee does the exact opposite. Don't worry, it's not one of those fake coffee alternatives made from herbs. And if you've tried other mushroom coffee brands out there, I promise this one actually tastes good and is way better and provides so many more health benefits. If you haven't already heard of the benefits of reishi mushroom or Ganoderma, then let me give you a quick overview. It's known as the king of medicinal mushroom family due to its superpowers such as supporting healthy immune balance and being an adrenal adaptogen. This means if your immune system's overactive due to autoimmunity, or suppressed because of things like chronic infections, and you're not really sure if your cortisol levels are high or low, the reishi can help to balance things out and it promotes homeostasis within the body. It's also antibacterial, antiviral, antifungal, anti-inflammatory, pretty much everything that we want from a product. Because of its potency, I'd recommend starting slowly if you're someone who's struggling with more complex chronic health issues or is sensitive. If you're thinking, why can't I just take a reishi mushroom supplement? Good question. Organo use a patented process to gently crack the inner and outer shell, offering 99% bioavailability of the reishi mushroom spores. I also explain this as being like the differences with probiotics, the regular lactobacillus, bifidobacterium options that we can all buy readily in health food shops have some benefit, but nowhere near as much as the spore-based probiotics that I use all the time with clients. Wanting to give Organo King Coffee a try for yourself? Visit vivanaturalhealth.myorganogold.com. This will all be spelled out and linked in the episode show notes and also my bio link on Instagram. I really hope you love it as much as I do, but now let's get back to the show. The second question is from Anna Sklash. She's from Apologies, Anna, if we're pronouncing this wrong. Ah, no, she she did mention how to pronounce it. Yeah, pronounced as Crash. Anna Crash. Anna Crash. Okay. So she's Polish, living in Germany near Frankfurt. She's very interested to hear about acne and pimples appearing systemically on the same areas of the face. So um, again, for me, if it is always forehead and the rest of the face is clear, I'm thinking gut health, potentially stress. If it's always on the jawline and the chin and cyclical as well, so around ovulation, flows up before the period, I'm thinking hormones, potentially high estrogen, high testosterone and other androgens. Um, It could be kind of, that the things that she's doing to help the breakouts is just damaging the skin or she's like squeezing and popping and then that's pushing the bacteria further in 
and then just keeping that inflammation localized. Is that kind of, is that what you're thinking? Uh, yeah, definitely. Um, there's also another aspect to that in terms of, I do get the question, I keep getting the same pimple in this exact same area. Um, so like you said, for example, different areas of the skin can give a hint as to if there's something going on hormonally or gut health wise. Um, there's also the point to bear in mind that actually if you've had a spot there previously that it's caused damage to the morphology of the skin structure underneath, which just means that it's much more likely that that area will refill with pus and sebum. Um, when you get the acne infection in those areas of your skin, the acne bacteria, for instance, releases a protein called camp factor. And that is cytotoxic. So it's actually toxic to your skin tissue and it can cause that damage, which takes a while to clear. Um, so it's really easy to start getting the same breakout in the same place um, because of that change to your skin structure that's happening underneath. So that's also something to bear in mind. Um, and also from the point of view, if you're getting acne on different areas of your face, so for example, the forehead area tends to be very indicative of it being, um, having a fungal aspect. Fungal acne tends to happen around the forehead and the hairline area. So just keeping that in mind as well. Yeah, we had a separate question on, we'll add this in now, um, how to identify and get rid of fungal acne. So is it always just on this part of the face or can it be elsewhere as well? And what does it look like? Yes. So it can be elsewhere as well. Those tend to be the areas along the forehead tends to be a very typical area to suffer from fungal acne. And fungal acne does tend to look different to normal, very inflammatory acne. Fungal acne will tend to be the kind of pinprick microcomdonal acne. Um, so it will look very textured, but it will never really come to a head. You don't necessarily get a lot of whiteheads. Um, it's more texture based and the acne itself can feel quite itchy, which is a symptom that can happen with acne. So I always tend to ask my clients if they mention that acne feels itchy to rate it on a scale of one to 10, because it is normal for skin to feel itchy when it's very inflamed and your skin's immune reaction is being activated. Um, but that itchiness is another factor that can be indicative of fungal acne. And treatment wise, so online, there's a lot of um, recommendations like wash your face with anti-dandruff shampoos or things like Nizerol. What are your thoughts on that? And another thing is get rid of all oils from your skincare routine. What would be your approach? Yeah, so fungal acne is obviously an overgrowth of the fungus in the skin versus normal or hormonal acne, which is an overgrowth of bacteria in the skin. Where people are recommending those anti-dandruff shampoos, it's because it's an antifungal active. Um, they can be helpful to use as a face wash, but you want to be choosing one that is appropriate for skin in terms of sensitivity. So Nizoral, for example, is quite a high strength ketoconazole antifungal shampoo, and it comes um, with 
cleansing actives that are very strong and harsh and that can end up causing more issues for your skin um, long term also dries your skin out which in the short term helps the issue because the fungus is growing in an oily environment that's what it prefers to grow in so if you're controlling that oil production um, then you reduce the amount of fungus that's growing but you can do that in healthier ways by helping to reestablish your skin's um, lipid water balance, lipid hydration balance. So naturally um, working with your oil balance. You can use actives like, for example, um, green tea is a very well-known one for helping um, to prevent your skin from turning testosterone into DHT, which is a very potent androgen five to 10 times more potent than testosterone. So it's causing your skin to become a lot more oily. And when your skin is a lot more oily, it will grow fungus preferentially um, because that's the environment that it loves to grow in. So I would suggest initially starting um, to rebalance your, your skin health and using Actis, which will turn down that oil production. I hear a lot of dermatologists always mention that fungal acne is a certain type of acne that comes back again and again, even after treatment. For example, um, the antifungal medications that people can take orally. And if that's happening, to me, it's an indicator that you're not confronting and identifying the root trigger cause. So you can take antifungals, which will knock out the fungus overgrowth temporarily. But if you haven't balanced your skin's oil production, then you're always going to be prone to fungal acne coming back. From so very internal, important to keep yeah, that in from mind. an internal perspective, I'm thinking microbiome, the, mm -hmm. the gut microbiome massively influences other microbiomes, like in the vagina, obviously the skin. So if it is coming back recurrent, um, recurrently, it's not a skin problem, it's an internal problem. So if you're still taking the birth control pill, which has high levels of synthetic estrogen, or you're just estrogen dominant naturally, um, or you're eating like a high sugar diet, lots of alcohol, lots of stress, the yeast overgrowth is just going to keep coming back. So this person might also have symptoms of like a candida or yeast overgrowth internally. So bloating, IBS type issues, sugar cravings can be common. Anytime someone has dandruff and acne, I'm always like in the back of my mind thinking, okay, this could be potentially fungal, especially if it's on the forehead. Um, topically, Things I've found to be helpful um, would be Manuka honey because it has um, kind of skin supportive, anti-inflammatory, antimicrobial properties and it's not going to like completely strip out all the bacteria, all the yeast and just disrupt the whole thing. So maybe that they do need, um, if it's severe, like an antifungal treatment, I prefer to use herbal formulations. So whether that's caprylic acid or lauric acid, both from coconut products. You can use neem is a really good one. Allison extracts from garlic, berberine, like all of these herbs. And there's a product that I really like called Biocidin. It is a professional product, but I tend to use it internally for like gut dysbiosis and infections. But actually making a, a little face mask with that. It's a blend of got bits of tea tree in there um, and some anti-inflammatory antimicrobial herbs just for 10 minutes or so maybe mixed in with the manuka honey. I find that to be really effective as well. But yeah, to mm. me, it's going back to um, immune system not being functional because we all have yeast on our skin. We all have bacteria on our skin, like trillions of them. But 
if your immune system's suppressed or hyperactive, it's just going to like react to the yeast or not keep it in control and allow it to proliferate. Mm -hmm, Definitely. Even really simple things in terms of diet as well. What you eat influences your skin pH levels and your skin pH level influences your skin's microbiome. So taking it back to, it can be like you suggested, more deep rooted infections, um, but it can also be quite simply you're eating too much sugar in your mm-hmm. diet, which is encouraging um, poor skin health. So, so rule start. out the, the basic stuff first, but if it's persistent, it's not yeah. normal. You don't have to live with it. And it may be uh, more chronic, especially if you're dealing with other symptoms, you have to look at everything together and they will likely give you clues as to why you have the problem in the first place. Definitely. And I'd also just drop in the word of warning on coconut oil for if you're using that topically oh, yeah, no, not on your like skin. Internally. Um, <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yes, yes, definitely. Um, but it's a, it's, it was a very trendy a few years ago to use coconut oil on your skin. And that is quite troublesome for fungal acne. Um, it specifically grows very well in fatty acids which have long chains and that is what coconut oil is made up from so that's one to you never want to avoid products coconut products on the face if you're acne prone mm-hmm. uh, question three is from louise boga i think from brazil she says how about acne prone and dry sensitive weird barrier skin so she's not just got acne and most acne recommendations are for oily congested skin so how do you address acne if she's also dry and sensitive and everything that she's trying is kind of irritating her skin barrier? Yeah, definitely. I know in her question she said um, because the sensitive skin cosmetics aren't, aren't working on the acne itself. Um, so there are kind of two kinds of sensitive skincare products. There are sensitive skincare products that have a lack of actives because they're literally just um, trying not to initiate your skin's immune function. Um, and then there are sensitive skincare products that have active ingredients, which might be anti-inflammatory or soothing to your skin. Um, so I'd first of all make that distinction. And it can be hard if you're not sure what to look for on the ingredients list. But one we mentioned earlier, for example, green tea is very helpful um, for skin. So long as your skin isn't dry, um, green tea can be drying because it's helping to reduce that sebum production. Um, so looking for actives which are soothing but also um, active on oil production or skin cell turnover. Um, niacinamide, for example, is a B vitamin, which I really like. It is um, very helpful for balancing, regulating oil production. It's also an anti-inflammatory and it helps to reduce the redness in your skin. And I like it because it's working with your skin health. It also helps your skin to make ceramides. Your skin's top layers are made of ceramides, cholesterol and fatty acids. And um, those help to establish a really strong skin barrier, which is what's going to help protect your skin against acne breakouts in the future. So that's a great one to look for. Um, Also things like you wouldn't um, imagine vitamin C as an antioxidant. Um, can be very helpful, but a specific kind of vitamin C, sodium ascorbyl phosphate, um, is studied to have great uh, benefits for acne-prone skin. It has a mild antibacterial activity, um, and it also helps to reduce the skin effects of UV light exposure. So UV light 
um, which we expose ourselves to every day. Um, it can oxidize your sebum and specific oils in your skin sebum, for example, squalane, um, are very vulnerable to attack by UV light. And when they're oxidized, they become highly comedogenic. Uh, and studies show us that when that comedogenic oil is on skin, it becomes roughened, the skin cell turnover becomes interrupted, um, which all leads um, to fueling acne. Um, so sodium ascorbyl phosphate has been shown to reduce the oxidation of sebum by around 40%. So that can be really helpful too. So it's not necessarily about not being able to use anti-acne skincare. It's about finding the right actives that work to support your skin health. Yeah, just because you've used something before and had a bad experience, don't rule out the, the nutrient or the product completely. Try different brands with different formulations. There's vitamin C, like there's ones that burn your face and they're really high strength, really irritating. And then there's the gentle introductory ones. Are there any brands um, of either the, the niacinamide and the vitamin C that you'd recommend? So sodium with phosphate, I think the Inky List um, use that in their vitamin C and salicylic acid. Um, so that one can be really helpful, but not um, saying that out loud. That's not a great not one for, for very sensitive skin. No. Um, the Ordinary do do um, magnesium, magnesium, um, magnesium based vitamin C. Um, which can be helpful for sensitive acne prone skins. So that could be um, somewhere to start with. Then niacinamide. I love um, good molecules if you live in America and the Inky List have a 10% niacinamide serum. Um, both of those are really kind of simple formulations um, with skin health supporting active. So if I remember rightly, Good molecules also have betaine in their formula, which is a skin similar amino acid that helps to hydrate your skin barrier um, and encourage that really healthy balance of hydration versus oil. Um, those are two formulas that I do recommend quite often. A very common one and the one that I've used before and still use sometimes is the, the ordinary niacinamide and zinc formula. Mm -hmm. For me, it went really well, but I know people who actually get worse acne from that. And there's lots of like YouTube videos, like this product made my skin absolutely terrible. Would you feel like that is more of like a purging thing and just try and stick with it? Or do you know the mechanism behind why it can make acne worse if it's meant to be this amazing nutrient? Yeah, I've seen that. A lot of people do react to the ordinary niacinamide and zinc. And it no, for me, that wouldn't be a purging. Um, there might be some sensitivity to immediately introducing a new skincare active and using it every day or twice a day if you've introduced it too quickly. But um, overall, I would say that's pointing towards that product not working well for your skin type. I don't think it's the niacinamide in the Ordinary Serum. I believe it's the zinc. Um, and it's a formulation that I would never recommend for somebody that has, for example, dehydrated or areas of skin that are combinations. So they have dryness as well as like imbalance in oil production. Um, zinc is an astringent. So it's reducing the oil production of your skin. Um, and it's, it's also to an extent it 
it may upset the packing of your skin cell structure um, because astringents can coagulate. What's called coagulate is changing the shape of skin cell proteins. Um, so that can cause some reactivity in skin. So I would definitely say it's not purging and it's not something to push through. Um, it's something to think if you've introduced the product too quickly and kind of surprised your skin with a new active, or if you've introduced it gradually and you've had that reaction, it would be a product that I'd just recommend to stop. Yeah, how would we tell, like, for example, with a retinoid, like how do we know if it's purging versus irritation and we need to start with like other products? Yeah, great question. Um, so first of all, with retinoids, you need to be working your way up the strength ladder gradually and also the frequency of use. You need to introduce them slowly. That will help to reduce purging effects. Um, if you're seeing an increase in breakouts, you'd want to understand if those breakouts look more inflamed than usual and if you're experiencing any other symptoms of sensitivity alongside them, so stinging, burning. So I know that, for example, you experienced the flakiness with introducing a retinoid, but if that flakiness was very extreme, mm. that is another example of it being irritation versus um, purging. I would say it's those added skin symptoms on top of it. And I'm guessing. Yes. And it shouldn't be lasting for more than about a couple of months, realistically. Okay. And that can be applied to chemical exfoliants, like any new actives in the routine. There might be a period of time where things do get a little bit worse before they get better. But yeah, pay attention. So you know your body. And if the breakouts are like in a brand new place that you've never had them before, um, that could be a sign. Or if you're just feeling more tight, more inflamed, more red. So don't just keep pushing through thinking that it's going to pass because you might be having a, a bad reaction. Yes, definitely. And with ingredients like niacinamide and vitamin C, um, are there any just general rules like you can't combine certain things together? Are there any common mistakes that you see like in these skincare routines on YouTube, like people mixing things together that actually shouldn't be combined? Yeah, niacinamide and vitamin C is one of those combinations there's a lot of um, talk about on the internet. So I wouldn't myself design a skincare routine which has vitamin C as ascorbic acid next to niacinamide. Um, that's somewhat to do with its pH levels. So ascorbic acid to absorb well into skin needs to be at a much lower pH level than niacinamide. Um, niacinamide is best at about skin pH level or just slightly increased. Um, ascorbic acid formulas are around the kind of pH 3, um, 3.5 mark. So you'd want to keep them separate first, separated first of all for that reason. There's also um, the point to bear in mind that niacinamide can cause um, flushing in your skin when it's broken down into niacin. And there is a very slight risk that if you're using it next to acidic formulations, that can happen. Um, it is a temporary reaction, but obviously anything that's putting an extra inflammatory burden on your skin and your acne, as it's an inflammatory skin condition, um, isn't helpful. So niacinamide and vitamin C, I would recommend to keep separate. Also products with the high and low pH levels. So exfoliating acids 
are in general low pH levels, with the exception being azalic acid um, has a slightly skin, more skin similar pH level. So that one can be included quite easily in a skincare routine. It's generally one that I do recommend people start with because it tends to be more sensitive skin friendly. And it also has active anti-inflammatory properties, which will not only help to reduce the inflammation you're seeing in your acne, but help to, to reduce the sensitivity that you might experience from introducing a new skincare active. I just realized as well i just answered the the next question without checking so it was how do you ah, you're on form um, purging it's, i'm just like asking the questions that i want to know as well throughout this Farron <laughs> <laughs> yeah. wall from um kent asked that so hopefully we answered your question about irritation versus an initial purge okay so next is um how often should i use a face mask and which are the best for spot prone skin so for me, the um, like getting rid of the Aztec clay, um, anything too drying, too stripping might help temporarily, but it's actually going to make it worse. I use raw manuka honey. I really love that. It's one of my favorite skincare ingredients. It has made the, um, one of the best change from, for me personally. But I d I'm not into like the sheet masks or anything like that. I don't think they're worth the money. Just like single use, obviously wasteful for the, the environment as well. Um, so I personally just have the Manuka honey masks once or twice a week and don't typically use anything else, but I've used, um, I've used the Lena Wild. Um, so I was introduced to this through um, my friend Sarah Sumik and her friend has a company that's like a blend of, I think it's kale and clay, um, matcha green tea. So some really nice, I think it's got colloidal oatmeal in there as well, like a nice blend of things. And that's worked really well in the past but what do you what do you recommend in terms of face masks do we need to be doing them if so what type and how often yeah so i'm really not a big fan of face mask products um for the simple reason that they don't get a long period of time with your skin and i'd much rather find somebody those active in a really great serum that their skin is absorbing all of versus using it temporarily in a face mask. Um, and I also often find that because of the reason it's getting less contact time with your skin, those face masks that might have an active ingredient component tend to be much more potent and include a higher percent of those actives to get more benefits from using that product. But it's kind of like using um, an espresso shot in a skincare form versus having a coffee um, and it's it can be quite a surprise for your skin and that's not great for your skin health long term it's um, adding to that inflammation burden but having said that there are some face masks that I do recommend um, or actives that I do recommend for acne prone skin. And those would be more face masks that are clay based, kaolin based, because they're helping to absorb the unbalanced sebum from your skin and just making sure it's not in contact with your skin continually at the levels that your skin's excreting it at, because we know that that can provoke hyperkeratosis in your pores. So if you're removing that oil from your skin, then you're helping to reduce um, those biology changes. And also I do love, like you mentioned, colloidal oatmeal. I love that. It's a great anti-inflammatory 
um, soothing active. There's also some evidence to suggest it has a pH balancing effect on your skin. Um, so that's really great for helping to support a healthy microbiome. And I know it's not a face mask, but um, one that I get asked about all the time is the Dennis Gross products. So the alpha beta peel pads. Um, so mm. they have like a, the acid step one, and then you go in with like a neutralizer. And it's a bit off topic, but what are your thoughts on those? Um, the acid pads, I'm also not a great fan of. I used to use them prolifically when I um, first got acne because they have a great uh, drying <laughs> effect to your acne. It dries it out and makes it feel like it's healing really quickly. Um, I don't tend to like them because the formulas they use will have a high dose of a solvent in the pads to enable the transfer of that active ingredient to your skin. So alcohol is really common to be found um, in those pads and it destroys your skin barrier in order to allow the active ingredient to absorb in. So long term, that's not supportive of your skin health and can just end up propagating more acne from an irritation point of view. Yes, I'm not a fan. I'd much rather have a solution, a tonic solution that you apply yourself to a cotton pad or to your hands and then apply it to your skin. Perfect. Is daily sunscreen necessary even in the UK winters? So the sun has gone probably until like April in the UK. Are there any acne safe brands as well? Because with sunscreens, I think a lot of people avoid them because they are, a lot of them are so like poorly formulated, they're pore plugging, they're thick, they're white, they leave um, a white ghost. cast when you take, yeah, mm, take photographs. Ghosty. So everyone on Instagram, they don't want that ghost cast with a ghost face. So do we need to be using them if we're in countries like the UK and which products or brands or um, specifics are good for acne prone skin? Yeah, really, really great question. I would just put it out there. Sometimes I don't wear sunscreen every day. Um, <laughs> so please don't feel bad if um, you're not using sunscreen every day. I, from my point of view, if you're working indoors and it's winter time and um, when UVA levels are reduced and you're using a great antioxidant serum on your skin, then it's not mandatory that you be wearing an SPF every day. Um, in the summer, if you're exposing yourself to direct sunlight and if you're outside for peak hours, then definitely um, I would strongly recommend wearing a sunscreen. And I think it becomes less of an issue if you find a product that really works for you. Like you mentioned, a lot of the formulas on the market can be pore clogging, they're not nice to use, especially if you've used a physical mineral sunscreen before and not realized that it's physical mineral sunscreen and it has that very thick, uh, white, ghost-like impact on your skin. Not all sunscreens are like that. There are great formulas out there. Um, if somebody comes to me and they're not using a sunscreen in their existing routine, it's not generally something that I would put in first of all because if we're trying to improve their skin health um it is known that sunscreens can be more troublesome for acne prone skin types 
I suspect that's because sunscreens need to do something called film forming on top of your skin. Um, so if the sunscreen actives are absorbing in more deeply, they're not having the effect that they need to have. They need to be shielding those top layers of your skin effectively. And to do that, the oval formula needs to film form um, and that can be quite heavy and quite clogging um, to skin. So if somebody's not using a sunscreen already, I wouldn't um, switch or introduce a sunscreen straight off the bat. It's always the product I would introduce last into new skincare routine once the actives um, that I've picked for somebody have started to show a beneficial effect um, for reducing acne, the severity of breakouts and frequency. But there are really great products out there. Um, one I'm using myself at the moment is actually the Paula's Choice Resist SPF, um, which is a really, really nice formula. It's not too heavy, absorbs in well, um, it's somewhat moisturizing, but not greasy or heavy. Um, other products I've used in the past, um, the Murad City Shield or City Block, I think it's called. Um, that one's a really nice um, formula. It's more suited for people who have quite an oily skin type. Um, and then there are, uh, I think the one that I recommended for you, Vivian, was the Purito. Yeah, yeah I love that one. So Purito, Centella, yeah. the fragrance-free one, I think. Yes. Yes, that's a, a really nice formula too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I was the person who was like, I, I can't use sunscreens, they just don't work for my skin. And that one is, um, I don't use it every day either. Like in summer, I was wearing it every day. But I work indoors, um, I work at home, so I'm not really leaving the house apart from my walk, which I go at, at like 9am before the sun is really in peak hours. But um, yeah, I'm glad that I found one that works well for me. And this is in the, I'm sure that's like a K-Beauty line, isn't it? Yes, yeah, yeah Purito. So that ties in nicely to the next mm, I like your question. link. Yeah, <laughs> it was unintentional. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of trendy like skincare brands and um, K-Beauty is a big one. So these elaborate 10-step Korean beauty routines now, do you find them to be more helpful or harmful to acne? So I think KBT is great. I really love the formulations. They tend to be much more uh, suited to supporting your skin biology versus working against to show that short-term change. I'm not a fan of the 10-step skincare routines just because it can do what's called plasticizing your skin. So that overhydration of your skin barrier um, I don't know if you've ever seen one of those expanding flannels. No. No. If you sometimes you get them in um, Chinese restaurants, they'll come and they'll put a pot of water on the table. Oh, um, yeah. I actually had this happen once in Canada when I was vis visiting my family, um, and I I actually thought they were sweets first of all, but they came with this little pot of water, and you pop it in the water, and it expands really quickly. Um, that can happen to your skin cells. So if you're overhydrating your skin and you imagine all your skin cells, when you have a healthy skin barrier, they're tightly packed together. Uh, if you add a lot of water and a lot of hydration and they'll start expanding and pushing each other apart and that degrades your skin barrier health, which can cause more issues with irritation and acne breakouts. So, so you look more plump and healthy. It's going to like actually destroy your skin barrier. Yeah, exactly. 
Okay. So what are some other um, benefits of K-beauty? Is it just that they are more conscious of the ingredients that they're using? Because um, if you look at the skin quality of people in Asia, Korea, all of that, it's usually really good. Um, so what, what is K-beauty? K-beauty is much more orientated to a hydrating benefit on skin without being oily or greasy which can be very helpful for acne prone skin types um it's obviously a lot hotter and more humid um in those areas of the world so having products which have a higher percentage of oil in them can be troublesome because actually during the day your skin excretes sebum and that reaches a peak at about midday which is why Often when you have oily combination skin, you'll start to feel that your skin looks great in the morning, but by midday, it feels like an oil slick. Um, and if you live in a humid country, your skin is also um, sweating to a certain extent. And that increases uh, the excretion of your pores during the day. So products that are more hydration based without that thick, heavy oil base um, are really helpful in those climates which is what k-beauty tends to be oriented towards it's also in my opinion a lot of the formulas are much more sensitive to skin um centella extract is very common to find in k-beauty products and that's great for sensitive skin it's great for reducing redness it's great for acne prone skin types Overall, I'm a really big fan of the products, just not using them in the 10-step routines. Definitely. And I find, personally, like with clients, a more simplified routine, at least until you get the acne under control, um, is usually the best. And then you can start adding more masks and um, kind of anti-aging serums, like once the acne breakouts under control. Because if you have acne, you have sensitive skin automatically. So less is, mm-hmm. less is really more. I love that you say that. That's what I say to my clients all the time. You have acne, you have to assume your skin is sensitive. Exactly. Um, Someone asked about essential oils and whether you recommend them for acne. So sometimes um, applying tea tree oil is like a common recommendation on the skin, whereas Mm -hmm. other people like no essential oils at all because they aren't designed to go directly on the skin. Yeah, I think we touched upon this, didn't we, in our last podcast? so. So essential oils... I think the one that stands out for acne is tea tree oil. Definitely never put that on your skin in a concentrated form. It's um, It will burn and cause severe irritation. So there's that point to keep in mind. I'm not a fan of essential oils as the approach to healing acne. Um, they can be helpful because they have an antibacterial benefit. For example, tea tree oil is helpful because it has an antibacterial impact on skin, which is reducing that propagation of acne bacteria. However, essential oils come with a mixture of many other active ingredients in them. There are often allergens in the formula. And if you're treating your skin type as sensitive, then in the strictest sense, you should be avoiding all essential oils and all perfumed products too. Yes. <laughs> definitely avoid, don't take them avoid. internally. That's my, no. my thing as well. People, especially with doTERRA, they're like, oh, I just take essential oils all day, every day. I'm like, oh my God, your internal organs <laughs> oh, are probably God. crying. Not great. Um, the burn on the way down as well. Exactly. 
So last question, um, someone asked um, what helped the most for both of our acne individually, because obviously we're different people, different circumstances, different root causes for acne. So I'll go first with me. Mine's been like very up and down, lots of different, I feel like I've had pretty much every root cause of acne that there is at one time or another. So it's been mm. hormone driven, it's been gut driven, it's been food sensitivity driven, it's been a bad skincare. Um, that's the driver of it as well. But the most helpful thing for me, and this is like pretty uncommon for a lot of people, was the mold exposure and my immune system just being absolutely crazy. I'm very suppressed, um, but also very overactive at the same time. It's weird how it works. But my body was like so depleted that it wasn't able to keep the bacteria on my skin at bay. So it's just like chronic inflammation. Um, and the mold was then affecting my hormones. So it was driving my androgens to be elevated. It was wrecking my blood sugar. It was wrecking my gut health. So a very root cause getting out of the mold and detoxing from that has made the biggest difference. Um, removing dairy, cleaning up my diet just overall, managing stress, working on my gut and my liver was key as well. So coffee enemas for me made a huge difference and making sure I'm going to the bathroom every day and clearing out gut infections. So getting rid of SIBO um, and low stomach acid. So yes, yeah, very complex. And I've done like multiple episodes on this for me, myself personally. And then at a topical level, sim simplifying, using um, very basic products, Manuka honey and the Gran Active Retinoid. Those have made the biggest difference on the outside. But what about you? For me, uh, first of all, it was stripping my skincare routine of all these really harsh products that were actually only making my acne worse in the long term and secondly diet had a really really huge impact I always kind of describe it to my clients as a, a thickly frosted cupcake I think diet is the cakey bit mm -hmm. and then skincare is the thick frosting on top um it's very rare to see your skin health resolve itself if you're only confronting one of those. For me, diet was huge. Dairy was a massive factor. Um, if I removed, I removed milk from my diet overnight and within weeks, um, I saw a huge reduction in large cystic breakouts on the chin area. Um, that was big for me. Also, those healthy food triggers that you don't identify first of all like fruits mm -hmm. fruit certain fruits for me are a trigger especially if i eat a lot of them it's that blood sugar balance and keeping that blood sugar balance in um a really health healthy control and exercise i noticed when i started exercising very regularly um that had a great impact on my skin health obviously that helps to regulate your blood sugar balance as well and all those insulin and inflammation hormones um yeah the trio the trio of skincare diet and lifestyle yeah basic but people need to hear this it's not a lack of um one specific product a lot of the time and it's not just one thing in the diet it's a combination of different things so look holistically with acne um for everyone so we've done all of the questions i know we've kind of batched a few of them together so um hopefully that answered everyone's questions but we could always do a part a part two to the q a so you'll, you'll be back on again don't worry <laughs> oh thank you for chat. having me you know, i could talk about <laughs> acne and skin all day every day 
Um, So could you remind everyone where they can find you online and the services that you're offering at the moment? Yes. So my website is honestyforyourskin.co.uk. And you'll find my contact details on there. Hello at honestyforyourskin.co.uk. Um, I work on a one-to-one basis um, through the Acne Clinic, um, through a series of one-to-one coaching sessions. So if you're interested in that, you can find the details on my website or you can contact me directly to find out more. Amazing. And I'll link to all of those um websites and any products and things in the show notes. So if anyone was like, whoa, what did you say? 10 minutes ago it will be in there if it's relevant but if not just send either of us an email so thank you so much Cheryl we we have like a monthly mastermind call don't we oh I love it <laughs> we're connected after the first podcast we chat like once a month um both like asking each other questions which I absolutely love connecting with people in the industry and you are a wealth of knowledge and my go-to expert for anything topical related oh you are too i love our good geek out sessions me too we'll have to schedule the next one soon (laughs) we will thanks cheryl i really hope you enjoyed this episode if you did and you would love a free copy of my hormone friendly recipes guide please leave me a rating and review and i will email you a copy as a thank you gift all you need to do is screenshot your rating and review and send it to me at hormonesinharmony at gmail.com This guide contains delicious gluten, dairy, grain and refined sugar-free recipes and all the meals contain specific hormone superfoods. Don't worry, there are no boring salad recipes included. Come and say hi over on Instagram at Viva Natural Health as I share a ton of free content every day and you can get to know more about me and how I stay hormonally healthy. If you haven't already, check out my website, vivanaturalhealth.co.uk, for my blog and many free guides which cover everything from clearing acne to gut health and hair loss. If you're ready to identify and address the root causes of your hormonal issues, whether that's acne, PMS, PCOS, hair loss or problematic periods, take that first step today and apply for an enrolment call on my website. We'll use this call to discuss the steps that you need to take in order to achieve hormonal harmony and how I could help you get there. See you back here next week for another episode.